You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostreicher of Ravens Wire, and we are back on another Taco Tuesday after another Lamarvelous Monday when the Ravens beat the Buffalo Bills 24-17 to in Week 14. Again, on top of the AFC with the number one seed, the Ravens moved to 11-2. and two. And we are back here with Spencer Schultz of Baltimore Beatdown here to help us break down that Ravens victory. Spencer, how are you today? Doing fantastic. Had a little cold that's uh, kept with me ever since the 49ers game, that old cold rain. Now uh, we'll be getting the Jets on Thursday, and it's going to be like 22 degrees. So looks like it's going to be a sick Christmas for me, literally. But yeah, I'm excited. The Ravens reeled off nine straight wins. They're sitting at the best you know, mark they've had in franchise history, really, at this point in the season. They're one of the 10 best teams all time, according to Football Outsiders, in terms of DVOA. And uh, five of those 10 teams went on to win Super Bowls. So the Ravens are in some pretty elite company right now. Uh, operating on all cylinders, and they were, I mean, last week it felt like the defense and the special teams were able to win the game when the offense couldn't, you know, go uh, crush where they needed to. Then the offense is able to drain clock out at the end of the game, and Tucker can handle business at the end. This week, the offense couldn't drain that clock out. Uh, Offense kind of was playing well, and the defense was holding, and then offense struggled due to what we'll get into. Defense just shut the bills down, plain and simple got assisted on, I believe, 50 penalty yards in the final drive and still sent the Bills home with a loss. So outstanding job by the Ravens. They have a 96% chance, according to Football Outsiders, to lock up the one seed in the AFC. So uh, Football Outsiders is saying it's pretty definitive, and they are a very good source of knowledge. I usually find their projections to be very precise. So it looks like the Ravens are able to have the road come through Baltimore in all likelihood. They can even lose a game and still do so. So Ravens are in a good place. And the Ravens, in order to do that, have to take care of their business. And that starts on Thursday against the Jets. Now, Spencer, the Jets only have two days to prepare for this Ravens team and vice versa for the Ravens. How do you think the Ravens will go about turning around quickly to get the job done in Baltimore against the Jets on Thursday? It's really going to be a struggle for the Jets, I believe, to prepare for this offense in two, three days. And I mean, maybe they got started ahead of time knowing their season's already over or Maybe they weren't worried about it because their season's already over. It's going to be difficult. The Jets are going to have to come. It's always tough being a road team on a Thursday night. You have that travel day, which forces you to lose a day, and you don't really get much time coming out of uh, the Jets played on Sunday. They're going to have to get ready. I'm sure that they had practice today and are uh, going at it already. So it's going to be a tall task for the Jets, and I see that turning out to be a bloodbath in favor of the Ravens. I believe the Ravens opened at 15 and a half point favorites, and I might take the Ravens in that bet. Uh, the weather's supposed to be calm. It's not supposed to be windy, although it is supposed to be quite cold, and it feels like the Ravens are just going to absolutely ransack the Jets and kind of destroy their will in this game. Uh, the Jets have a decent run defense they have throughout the year. They've limited backs and stuff, but the Ravens are a unique rushing attack, and they'll be at home and finally playing without wind or weather for the first time in what feels like five years even though it was actually only uh, back to L.A. But, yeah, it's going to be a tall task for the Jets. I think the Ravens are able to handle business emphatically. And speaking of handling that business, the Ravens were able to handle their business against the Bills with a few key contributors going out of the game due to injury. Anthony Levine and Chris Board on special teams went out with injuries early in the game. And then Mark Andrews on offense, one of Lamar Jackson's favorite weapons, one of the best weapons on that Ravens offense. 
ended up leaving with a leg, knee, thigh injury. I think John Harbaugh's classifying it now as a little bit of a bruise. With the Jets game coming up on Thursday, I know Mark Andrews and Anthony Levine said they will be playing on Thursday and their injuries are minor. But do you expect the Ravens to maybe exercise some extra caution as they don't have a lot of time to rest and maybe heal them up for the games against Cleveland and Pittsburgh? Absolutely, they would be wise to. And with seeing how Hayden Hurst was able to kind of slide in and fill right in, I mean, a 61-yard touchdown, had two other chain-moving catches. He's been playing really solid the last couple of weeks, and it feels like him and Lamar Jackson are continuing to get on the same level that maybe Jackson and Andrews are on, uh, deserving some more touches in this offense. So if Andrews is in any discomfort, if he is playing hurt, let him rest. I mean, maybe he wants to suit up. Maybe he wants to get a feel for it. We just saw Tyler Lockett, the Seahawks receiver. He had a really horrible contusion that forced him to have to stay in San Francisco overnight uh, when the Seahawks defeated the 49ers a couple of weeks ago, and he has not been back to 100% since. So with the playoffs imminent, now the Ravens have locked it up. Rest the man. Get him fully healthy. You know, If you need Mark Andrews to win this game against a Jets team that's traveling to Baltimore on Thursday night with no rest, that's not good, and you shouldn't need Mark Andrews to win this game. So... Uh, if he is 100% good to go, completely fine, he just has a bruise, all right, sure, do it. But uh, I would still like to see his snap count limited and let Hayden Hurst and Nick Boyle uh, and Patrick Ricard as well really take some of the impact that Andrews has and lessen the blow of the injury. So, And another thing that uh, seemed to be going against the Ravens and the Bills was the refereeing job that happened on Sunday. And uh, I wanted to get your opinion on this here, Spencer, because it seemed like a lot of the games in the NFL on Sunday were kind of influenced by the referees, and there were bad calls both ways on the Ravens and on the Bills. And it just seems like every week there's something new. The officials are having too much input on football games that really should be determined by the skill on the field. And obviously that needs to be some sort of regulation because you can't do anything you want if you're a player. You can't hold, you can't grab. But it just seems like everything is getting influenced by the referees. What did you see on Sunday from the referees and what has to change? It's been an ongoing problem for what feels like ever since Roger Goodell took over as commissioner where the rule book has thickened and grown taller and it just creates more and more gray area with a thinner black line and a thinner white line of what is good and what is bad. And it feels like the discretion of the officials, their interpretations on things, their opinions on things are being weighed too heavily. And it's not necessarily even, you know, the individual referee or the individual crew's fault. They are being put in a bad place having to determine and think. And it's, it's not just an automatic job. And now there's so many interpretations and different little nooks and crannies and loopholes and weird precedent that's not established and then inconsistencies during the same game. And I mean, it's, it's just a system that's set up to fail. And now pass interference is a hot topic. And once the media latches on to one, you know, exact sort of penalty with the pass interference rule, every single pass interference is going to get replayed and scrutinized and there's deliberation and the refs huddle and all these things. One thing that I do feel would truly, truly help the NFL. And I don't see any possible reason against this and it's something that the AAF did and that's having the sky judge that's having a referee that is part of the crew up in a press box in his own box with monitors and the control of all of the cameras if nothing else to speed up the process to 
make the game faster, to stop halting the play of the game. So that's one thing I think that could help. And having someone that's a little bit more anonymous and not in front of 70,000 screaming fans, whereas they're in the press box with no eyeballs on them, can be a little bit you know less pressured and stressed and take some of the human aspect out of it uh, that leads to so much error. So I'd like to see a Sky Judge come in that sits in the box I think that was a fantastic thing the AAF did. And the NFL, definitely there's been rumblings of it, and I'm not sure if they voted on it or not. I uh, believe they might have, but they should certainly adapt doing so. I think that is one thing that could help a little bit, as well as just, I mean, letting the boys play to an extent. Once the playoffs roll around, you're supposed to let the players play. Football is not that hard of a game to understand. It's you know There are a lot of nuances and little things that you know you can't just watch and pick up on, but it's not that complicated of a sport, you know? It's being overly exaggerated and with the replays and all this stuff, it's just it's just so convoluted now. It's a mess and it's hard to really see it getting much better in the near future, which is upsetting as an NFL fan and, you know, a lifelong football watcher and NFL fan. So I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way and it's just difficult, but it is what it is. It is difficult, and there are so many things that go into it. I personally agree with you, Spencer. I think the Sky Judge would be a phenomenal idea. You're right. A referee in front of all these fans, it's it's hard. And I understand that it's a hard job, but to a certain extent, they are refereeing professional football games. It's the same in basketball, the same with baseball. They are supposed to be held to a high standard, and that standard is not being executed on the field right now. But, Spencer, before we head to break, I want to talk to you a bit about the weather because you mentioned that it seems like forever since the Ravens have had a game where there's just been clear skies or it's just been cold. The wind, the rain, and all the other factors that the weather has had to give the Ravens over the past two weeks, is that a reason why the offense has kind of slowed down or do you think it's more of a game plan or just the opposing teams being better on defense? I believe that it certainly plays a factor and you need to play with the weather in mind, absolutely. But it also comes down to the Ravens' opponents. Ravens have played the top three defensive scoring units. I mean, in the last two weeks, they played the 49ers, who are allowing 14 point, I believe, seven points per game when they played the Ravens. Then they obviously got into the shootout in New Orleans, and that might look a little different, but uh, will look a little different. Then they go play the Bills in Buffalo. It's windy. It's rainy in against San Francisco. It's very windy and cold against Buffalo. A top three defense with 20 to 35 mile per hour wind gusts. Um, so it's a combination, but at the same time, the Ravens are still scoring 20 points and they're able to win in time of possession. They're able to run the ball effectively when basically everybody knows they're going to run it and they can't stop it. It's, you know, it's almost like Shaquille O'Neal. You know that he can't shoot. You, not that the Ravens can't throw the ball, but you know he's going to go down to the paint and bang around and he's going to dunk on you. And it feels like the Ravens are that kind of force in the rushing game. They're outscoring their opponents. The defense is stepping up and the offense is, you know, had two turnovers with a fluke fumble last game and then a tip pass interception this game in the past few weeks. I mean, they're not putting the defense in a bad position. Sam Cook is always flipping the field. It feels like the opposing team always has a, a long ways to go for the most part. So um, they're relying on the defense a little bit more, and that's okay. I mean, it's a 53-man sport, and individuals don't win championships. Teams do. So absolutely, I feel that the weather has played a little bit of an aspect. Play calling has been a little bit strange at times, and Obviously, you know, we saw Lamar had a little bit of a tricky game in the rain against the 49ers. We discussed that last week. But, I mean, we saw what we, we had the Ravens in L.A. on a nice, warm, you know, fair night. And the Ravens were a juggernaut offensively. And it's a good thing. It makes the Ravens more battle-tested. They're playing these teams, and there's all the excuses. They ended up on top again in inclement weather for the second straight week. 
it just adds character and iron sharpens iron and all the cliches you want to say about it. It sharpens the Ravens. And guess what? Playoff football is played in the cold. The only possible way the Ravens won't be playing in the freezing cold is if somehow the Texans end up finishing ahead of the Ravens, which is looking like a virtual impossibility at this point as the Ravens are three games up. The Ravens have to lose out. And I think they still, yeah, they would. the Texans would be 11-5 and five and the Ravens would have the head-to-head. So it is now set in stone that the Ravens will be playing outdoors the rest of the playoffs and in the cold as the likely destinations are Baltimore, New England, or Kansas City. None of those places are warm and sunny in the winter. So the team's used to it. It's a good thing that they played in these environments and been able to, to win in them. So it just makes this team that much more you know, confident in themselves, I'm sure. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Yes, the weather plays a factor, but... Playing in Baltimore, you have the outdoor stadium, you have the cold, you have to be used to it. Any day it can rain, any day it can be windy, and that's just part of the game of football. We are going to go to break, but when we come back, Spencer and I will be getting into the offensive performance of the Ravens' 24-17 victory over the Bills. So stay tuned, and we will be right back. But before we do that, the original Casper mattresses combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash LockedNFL and using LockedNFL at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. Welcome back to the second segment of this Taco Tuesday Locked on Ravens episode. Kevin Ostriker still with you here with Spencer Schultz. And Spencer, like we do every week, let's talk about the offensive game plan that Greg Roman employed here against the Bills. It seemed to me like he was getting a bit too cute. It didn't seem like he was really playing to the Ravens' strengths, running the ball on a third and one. No, he opts to pass. Or running screens. It didn't seem like he was playing to the Ravens' personnel. Do you agree with me there? Absolutely. And we saw uh, Mark Andrews go down. The Ravens had 60 offensive snaps for kneel down, or excuse me, including kneel downs. So Mark Andrews played nine of those. With how big of a game Hayden Hurst played, you would think, you know, what did he play? 40 snaps, 50 snaps. He played less than half a snap. He only played 28 snaps. And uh, so Nick Boyle basically didn't come off the field with 54 snaps. But I would have liked to see some more Hayden Hurst. I would have liked to see some more Gus Edwards and some more Pat Ricard. Um, So it felt like the Ravens were kind of leaning on Seth Roberts and Marquise Brown and Willie Sneed and Miles Boykin a little bit more. The receivers were kind of dominating the snap totals. Mark Ingram only had 33 snaps, just over 50 percent of those 60 there. And then Gus Edwards only had 20 snaps. And we saw Gus Edwards didn't really get that many touches. And it feels like when the Ravens get into this game of playing 11 personnel with Roberts and Sneed and Boykin and Hollywood Brown, they don't do well plain and simple it feels like they're not as effective where was marquise brown where were the play designs to marquise brown we saw a screen and it was a great screen it was a quick screen as soon as the ball was snapped and it was when there was off coverage so it was a good time to run a screen then we end up seeing these boot play action reverse looking screen throwbacks and it's too slow of a developing play and the bills are able to read it they were a disciplined defense they were showing great discipline against the run game kind of you know not really letting the ravens truly dominate them but the run game was successful if you go back to the second drive of the game and the ravens get the ball on the bills side of the field the play calls were mark ingram for 5 lamar jackson keeper that was on the you know famous juke that he had on lorenzo alexander that'll certainly be on his highlight reel of the season then it was Gus Edwards rolling for seven yards, Mark Ingram for another eight yards, and then I think uh, Mark Ingram for another four. 
and you're inside the Bills 20. It's second and six, and you run a veer on an outside pitch or on an outside veer with Justice Hill. The snap is bobbled, and that was out of 11 personnel. It's second and six. Do you think the Bills are going to stop Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards as they've been bowling, bowling through their defense? No. They, you have three downs to go get six yards, and you think Gus Edwards and Mark Ingram aren't going to go do that? That's what I'm going to call. I'm going to be calling the, you know, the 94 power and plays like that. Put Ricard in the backfield, boil it tight end, Hurst besides him, and go move people. Um, the Bills did do a good job at points later in the game of kind of standing their ground, but you really don't think you're going to be able to get six yards if you just push the ball in. Um, and I get it. You want to, you know, show some different looks and football's not that simple and whatever you want to say. But it just felt like at times the Ravens were getting out of their wheelhouse a little bit too much. And if you want to run a screen, I really appreciate that. I've been calling for screens all year, but make it a quick developing screen a little bit. Throw some bubble screens. There were cert- there were plenty of opportunities. And this is also maybe on Lamar Jackson. I don't know how much he's checking in and out of things. I, I could never tell you. If you have three receivers lined up to the outside and there's two DBs are the only ones in the area and they're playing off eight yards, throw a bubble screen. You got two blockers right there. Put the the ball in Marquise Brown's hands and he's going to get you five yards at least. So I would like to see, you know, the ability of Lamar Jackson maybe call into some of these things. He is only a second year passer and that's something you don't end up seeing until year three or four of a lot of quarterbacks, but certainly would be nice. And I agree with you, Kevin. Roman was a little bit too cute. It just didn't add up. Didn't make sense. Yeah, I think that it was just a little too cute. But now let's talk about Lamar Jackson and his performance against Buffalo. He went 16 of 25 for 145 yards and three touchdowns. He also had an interception on a tipped Willie Sneed pass. And then on the ground, 11 carries for 40 yards did not break Michael Vick's record. Spencer, what did you see out of Lamar Jackson? I saw really good decision-making for the most part. I like to watch Colin Coward in the mid-afternoon while I'm working sometimes. Uh, Some of what he says I really like, and I like some of his observations. One of it was that the decision-making of Lamar Jackson is unbelievable because of the play speed that he's at. And that's something that I've written about in some of my articles and touched on in various formats. With these options and these RPOs and the threat of Lamar Jackson's legs, his ability to process information is like... Being able to hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, I mean, it's a it's a split second, and he's decisive, and he's keeping the ball. There's not a lot of hesitation. When there is hesitation, we end up seeing some of these games, uh, like in Pittsburgh or maybe against the 49ers, where Jackson struggles a little bit. So when he's on his game and, and the ball is coming out quick or he decides to tuck early or he's you know just letting the running back take the ball and do his business, he's at his best when he's decisive and confident, and we saw a good bit of that. Down in the red zone, Lamar Jackson has now thrown 22 touchdown passes and zero interceptions in the red zone. He's the NFL's best red zone passing quarterback in that metric. Um, and, I mean, it's hard to argue with anyone being better. He might not make, you know, the most difficult throws in the world all the time, but his ability to look coverage off and find tight little windows and change his arm angle. I mean, the pass that he threw to Willie Sneed was really unbelievable, rolling across his body and then zipping a ball in back across and doing it with dead precision. Um, There was one specific pass, and the Bills did make plays. One instance of that was Lorenzo Alexander diving full extension to swat a third down pass away from Seth Roberts. It was a perfect throw. Alexander just made a play, and when you start playing these playoff defenses, they're going to make plays. They're going to break passes up. They will be able to roll with the punches and do those kinds of things. So it was a little bit tougher. The yards weren't there, but yards don't win games, touchdowns do. And Jackson was able to produce three touchdowns. He was efficient inside of the red zone for the most part with uh, just settling for three up on that second drive of the game. 
So it was a good game for Lamar Jackson. It was a very windy game. He was able to do some things on the ground with his legs. He actually, I mean, on the Hayden Hurst touchdown pass he threw, he, that was maybe the hardest hit I've seen him take all season. And he was completely unfazed by it. He did not waver. He threw a perfect pass, which I expect him to. I mean, Hayden Hurst was wide open, but some quarterbacks might, you know, clutch a little bit and throw the ball a little bit behind. And then Hurst has to adjust. And then a DB ends up catching him. No, hit him right in stride, allows Hurst to rumble 60 yards. And that was the result of both of the Bills' safeties jumping up to stop the run game. Neither of them were there. And Hurst is wide open. So blown coverage by the Bills there. And something we did not see the Ravens' defense do. But, um, yeah, back to Lamar Jackson. Great game. Good completion percentage. He threw the ball away at times. We saw him throw the ball away right down on his own goal line. Threw it right over Gus Edwards' head and just made sure he got outside the tackle box just a hair and got that ball out and making smart decisions for the most part. And Jackson did throw one interception on a pass that – was not very accurate. It was a bit too high for Willie Sneed, and Sneed had ended up, you know, giving a little volleyball pop-up in the air, and uh, Tremaine Edmonds ends up coming down with the ball. So that was the first interception Jackson has thrown in nearly three months, and it's impressive. It's impressive that a kid who's 22 years old, you know, we're talking about him maybe having one of his worst games of the year. It's three touchdowns, a tip pass interception, and a Ravens win where they scored over 20 points. Yeah, Lamar played very well in my eyes also. And, you know, people will say, oh, well, he only threw for 145 yards. He had an interception. Well, if three touchdowns from Lamar Jackson is a bad day, then then I'll take a bad day every single time. But moving over to the running game, the Ravens had 118 total yards rushing, averaging 3.6 yards per carry. And Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards didn't really have a big game in terms of box score. Mark Ingram had 15 carries for 50 yards. Gus Edwards had four carries for 20 yards. And I'll throw Justice Hill in there, too. He had three for eight. Not a big box score game, but it seemed like they were getting the tough yards that were necessary to win the football game. What did you see out of the Ravens running attack, Spencer? The amount of defenders it took to end a Mark Ingram run, whether it was one yard or at the line of scrimmage or eight yards downfield, was Absolutely asinine. There were in, there were multiple instances where it took five defenders to finally stop Mark Ingram's momentum. He is a bull in a china shop. We also saw Gus Edwards roll on that second drive I mentioned. That should be you know an angry run nominee for Mr. Kyle Brand over at Good Morning Football. He ran straight through Jordan Poyer, who's one of the best run defending safeties in the NFL. Just ran right through him, and it was tough sledding early. Well, the Ravens were the ones that were causing tough sledding for the Bills early. And then, you know, the Bills kind of flipped it on its head in the second half and were able to stuff, uh, meaning two yards or less, on 10 of the Ravens' 30 carries. So the Bills did a good job and they played tough defense. But I would have liked to see some more Gus Edwards, like I said, some more heavier personnel, some of those power runs. And it seems like, you know, we saw great vision out of Gus Edwards on one instance. Uh, I believe it was called back on a Patrick Ricard hold that was never shown on replay, so who knows what that was. But Gus Edwards was able to bounce one outside, and it seems like his uh, he really worked on that long speed and kind of hitting that second, third, fourth gear in the offseason. Um, so I'd like to see Gus get some more touches. I feel like he has some more big plays in him than the Ravens are giving him an opportunity to create. Uh, I've been you know, hollering for Hayden Hurst to get more touches, and hopefully his performance and you know him being the fastest player to – touch a ball for the Ravens offense this year at 20.5 miles per hour. Dude, just 260 doing that's crazy. But Gus Edwards can kind of do some of those similar things if he's given a bigger target share. So I'd love to see Gus Edwards a little bit more involved in this offense. Yeah, I think so too. And that one-two punch of Ingram and Edwards is just so deadly. And I think as the season progresses and now you get into the playoffs, they will be even 
deadlier because of the fact that they're able to rotate in and out with each other. The fact that Mark Ingram can have 15 carries and Gus Edwards can maybe go for seven or eight. That's not giving Mark Ingram a full workload, which will make him more fresh for the playoffs. But Spencer, let's now talk about the receivers. Hayden Hurst had a great game. But it seems like the Ravens are employing all these personnel groupings, and sometimes they don't know what to do with them. In an NFL franchise and for an NFL team, you want to know what you're doing with your personnel. And now let's just talk about for a bit how the Ravens were using their weapons minus Mark Andrews. What did you see out of these Ravens receivers on Sunday? There were instances. The Bills were playing a lot of off coverage on the outside. They are giving some soft looks. And the Ravens love to go vertical. They love to have receivers run off. It creates a lot of space for Lamar Jackson to potentially scramble, which he actually didn't really do in this game. Having trouble recalling an instance where he scrambled, actually. I'm sure he did at some point. But we saw Seth Roberts make an insanely tough contested catch. He took a lick on a first down catch. Uh, it was a beautiful pass from Lamar Jackson. But Roberts has shown that he's able to make some of those tough catches and is worth throwing to in a sticky situation when he might be pretty well covered. Um, Marquise Brown was invisible. We didn't really see a lot of targets go to him. We saw a couple screens get thrown that way. He was the leading receiver with 43 snaps out of 60 offensively, and then take three away for kneel downs. Where were the targets? Where are the play designs? I mean, he was getting covered by Trey White a lot of the time. I get it, but we saw Marquise Brown able to beat Stephon Gilmore on a dig route. He's a guy that gets separation one-on-one pretty much regardless of who's covering him. Um, we saw him, you know, roast the Rams. So I'd like to see Brown get a couple more looks and kind of stretch the field a little bit. It felt like the Bills were kind of taking the deep ball away at times. But once it got into the third and fourth quarter, the Ravens were neither pushing the ball deep nor running the ball. So then you're stuck in this kind of purgatory intermediate area, and it allows the safeties to start creeping up in the box. And, I mean, maybe the wind was a factor like we discussed or – what have you, but if you just keep stretching the defense out, they're going to have to respect those deep balls. They don't want another deep pass going over their heads. And the Hayden Hurst touchdown wasn't even a deep pass. That was not 20 yards in the air. It was, you know, just an uncovered little skinny post on a play action there. And, and Hayden Hurst was wide open. Jackson, like I said, was able to throw a strike right in stride while he was getting blasted. And Jackson took a lot of hits in this game. He took a lot of hits in the passing game, and the Bills did a good job playing disciplined defense, as I mentioned. But um, it seems like with that off coverage, you want to run some more slants and some more outs and some more three-step hard breaking routes some drags, some crossers, some overs. And it felt like those routes were lacking in this game. And again, that ties back into play calling because we know they're there. We've seen them. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And it's just a matter of putting the right people in the field and adjusting the offense to the skill set that your players have. But we are going to go to break. And when we get back for our final segment, we are going to be talking about the defense and how they were able to hold Josh Allen and that Bills offense is just 17 points. So stay tuned and we will be right back. But before we do that, if you're a Spotify listener, use Spotify Rap to show us your top Locked On podcast for the year. Take a screenshot and tag us at Locked On Live and tag me at ChaosTriker34 or at Locked On Ravens on Twitter and we will share it and retweet. Welcome back to the final segment of this Locked On Ravens episode. Kevin Ostriker still with you here with Spencer Schultz. And Spencer, this game plan from Don Martindale was just pressure, pressure, pressure. And it seemed to fluster Josh Allen quite a bit. Matthew Judon had hits on Josh Allen and was able to do multiple things, both pressuring Josh Allen, but also playing as almost what looked like to be a spy. The Ravens had 12 total quarterback hits on the day, and everybody was getting on the action. Jalen Ferguson had three quarterback hits. Josh Bynes had two quarterback hits. 
What did you see out of this Ravens defensive front and the pressure they were able to get on Josh Allen? It was a great job by Wink, and that was exactly right, Kevin. The idea was to get pressure on Allen. We saw Judon. He's been taking more snaps at what looks like inside linebacker, which allows him to get some one-on-ones or some delayed blitzes with a head of steam against a guard or a center as opposed to having to work against these super athletic tackles. Um, so some of those were extremely successful. If you ask a tight end to block Matt Judon, you're going to get strip sacked. It's happened two times this year. Don't put tight ends on Matt Judon if you want to win games. That's a bad idea. I uh, don't know why people are still doing that. But aside from Judon, we saw Jalen Ferguson able to push the pocket consistently. We saw Michael Pierce disengaging inside and pushing the pocket with all his might on some of these passing downs. And that's the that's part of a stunt. Sometimes you, you don't ask Michael Pierce to rush the quarterback. You ask him to blow the left guard to the left as far as you can and try and make an opening. And he's not even trying to get after Josh Allen. We also saw Dumata Pecco have two pressures. Allen was able to kind of elude him on both, but he got him off his spot, made him have to get on the move. Josh Bynes and LJ Fort. LJ Fort had a beautiful spin move that was allowed him to go hit Josh Allen. Josh Bynes was a force in the backfield, wrestled him right down, got himself in on the action as well. So this Ravens attack did a great job. It was a lot of cover zero, a lot of very confusing looks, a lot of one-on-one on the outside. The Ravens were, were sending it hot, and they blitzed more than anyone else in the NFL at over 50% of the time. They ended up pressuring or hitting Allen on over half of his dropbacks. Not many quarterbacks in this league are going to put up even 20 points or remotely come close to their potential as a passer in a game when they're getting hit and harassed that much. And you got to give some credit to Josh Allen because he was getting assaulted, was able to hang in there tough and make a couple of nice throws at times. But yeah, they uh, did not face any sort of drama or trouble with Josh Allen, who was being hyped up to be just as basically athletic as Lamar Jackson in this game. Allen had, you know, I believe maybe two scrambles. Uh, one for like seven yards, the other for like three. So didn't do any damage with his legs. Made Allen have to throw to his first read all day. Yeah, it was just a great game plan overall from Don Wink Martindale. And now let's get into the linebackers. It seemed like every linebacker on the Ravens roster was doing something and was playing great. LJ Fort, Patrick Owasso, Josh Bynes. You can even take that outside. Jalen Ferguson had a great game. What did you see out of these Ravens linebackers on Sunday and how they were able to rattle Josh Allen? They just waited for him to move off of his spot. And as soon as he started moving, they came right downhill. There was no hesitation. They weren't going to – it's, again, it's something that we've talked about. Being active instead of reactive. You want to be the aggressor. You want to be the hunter, not the hunted. And we saw that from Josh Bynes on that big sack. He came straight downhill on Josh Allen, slammed him to the ground, didn't let Allen get ahead of steam or put any kind of move, didn't let him get any momentum or – you know, I mean, Allen's got great speed to the perimeter, and he didn't even get to really use it at all on Sunday. So linebackers did a great job containing, and it feels like LJ Fort is such a good spy. It's funny because the viral video of the Eagles versus the Ravens joint practices back in August, we saw Lamar Jackson really shake LJ Fort and break him down. It looked like he blew his knee out almost. And we've now seen LJ Fort against Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, and Josh Allen who are, I mean, three of the most mobile quarterbacks in the NFL, not named Lamar Jackson. He has laid the wood on all three of them. He crushed Josh Allen. He had a beautiful spin move that allowed him to come free, and it feels like he's been an extremely effective blitzer. That's why the Ravens gave him that two-year contract and want to keep him around. So it feels like he really has found a home in this defense. Patrick Owasso has done a great job sorting through messes. He's done a better job than he did early in the year, engaging with offensive linemen and 
ending run plays, being the eliminator. So we saw him clean up some messes. You mentioned Jalen Ferguson as well. He was doing the same thing. He had his worst game as a Raven so far against the 49ers. He couldn't quite see a couple things, gave up the edge a couple times. George Kittle moved him out of the way on the long touchdown, but not in this game. He is such a damn good tackler. He is a bull. He's able to come and run plays and fit, you know, he makes plays where it looks like it's going to be a five-yard gain and the running back might be able to go wiggle and pull some guys with him. But if Ferguson gets a hand on you, you drop to your knees. He is smacking running backs. I feel like he's been a little bit underrated for his ability to come inside and shoot across the face of linemen and kind of bull through them while he's still learning the edge. Um, and the Ravens have a 3-4 system, a two-gap system that asks outside linebackers to be really smart and disciplined while also being really aggressive. So it asks a lot of outside linebackers, and that's maybe why we saw a Tim Williams struggle and a Kalami Correa, who's been starting for the Titans, asked to do a little bit less in that defense. So it's going to be a learning curve, and not everybody's Terrell Suggs or Matt Judon, but Ferguson's learning, and he's playing really, really well. So the linebackers had a great day. We already talked about Judon. Give the man his money. Keep him in Baltimore. We can't afford to lose him. I am right on the keep Matt Judon train with you, and what makes him so good is in part due to the secondary shutting down the receivers on the opposing team. Now, Judon has skills of his own, don't get me wrong. But with the addition of Marcus Peters, with Marlon Humphrey, Earl Thomas, Chuck Clark, Jimmy Smith, covered sacks can be a thing for this Ravens team, and they have been over the past few weeks after the Ravens really struggled to get to the quarterback. On Sunday, Marcus Peters had a phenomenal game. I thought Earl Thomas played very well. Also, Marlon Humphrey was a little grabby, but that's who he is as a player. This Ravens secondary played really well against Josh Allen, only holding him to 146 yards. What do you think is the key to this Ravens secondary being so good? And what did you see out of them on Sunday? Well, Kevin, first of all, you make a great point, and it needs to be understood. Pass rush and coverage are dependent upon one another. You can't ask a cornerback to cover for five seconds and expect them to be in a, in a place to succeed. Conversely, if the quarterback can get rid of the ball and someone's open as soon as they get to the top of their drop on their first read, you're not going to get any sacks. So the days are long gone. The Ravens didn't make any crazy pass rushing additions. They did bring in Jihad Ward, who's played well, but uh, I mean, he's had some sacks and been back there, but he's not taking 100% of defensive snaps. He's not in there all the time. Now we see Jimmy Smith returning and Marcus Peters returning and how key those two guys have been for the Ravens pass rush. And, of course, Chuck Clark has taken a very dominant role. He only missed two snaps on Sunday when he had a little very scary moment when the green dot had to come out. Um, I believe Josh Bynes took it over for those two plays, but it ended up being just looked like a, a cleat came off of his foot and was not an actual injury. So um, Chuck Clark as well. But it's got to be Earl Thomas. I mean, nothing deep happens. If Earl's playing cover three or single high, he's playing that deep safety. Nothing happens. And Marlon Humphrey's been outstanding, doing a really great job in the nickel. He feels like such a physical and big nickel corner um, that's been so disruptive in the run game as well at times. At times, we also miss him on the outside where Marcus Peters is. And obviously, Peters isn't the greatest against the run, but Peters was locked down in coverage. Jimmy Smith is playing physical, and we did see him get beat on the Cole Beasley touchdown. But that was a tough play. I mean, the Ravens were communicating and kind of got lost, and the Bills had a really good play call down on the goal line where they came out trips right. And Cole Beasley just comes screeching across the formation in motion. And Jimmy Smith couldn't quite get there. Allen puts an accurate pass on and it was a good play call. But uh, Jimmy Smith is playing very well to me. This defensive back unit as a whole barely came off the field. The three cornerbacks are playing almost every single snap. So they are being relied on heavily with Marcus Peters playing 73 snaps. 
Jimmy Smith playing 72 snaps, and Marlon Humphrey playing 75 snaps. So between those three corners, they miss a total of three snaps throughout the game, playing almost exclusively in that nickel look. Yeah, the secondary is playing at an all-time high level right now, and you're right, it is extremely wonderful to see them gel as a unit and as a group. But Spencer, that's all I have for you today. Thank you once again for joining the show. And again, I'll say it as I do every week. Hopefully next week we are talking after the Ravens' dominant win over the Jets, hopefully extending their winning streak and also keeping that number one seed in the AFC. Yes, sir. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on again, Kevin. Listeners, make sure to go give this man five stars. Help him climb up those iTunes review charts and uh, get this man paid. He does a wonderful job bringing you that Ravens coverage every single day throughout the week. So Support the man. Thank you for that, Spencer. Tomorrow we are going to be getting into Crossover Wednesday with Locked on Jets. So stay tuned for that, and I will see you tomorrow.